Can you turn with me, please, to your Bible on your phone or in your pocket or wherever it is? And we're going to read Philippians chapter 1. And I'm going to do the third part in our series this morning. For those of you visiting, we've just started looking at the book of Philippians, which we're going to be doing for the next number of months. It's um, an amazing book. It's a joyful book. It's a, a book full of uh, Paul speaking about friendship to this church that he's planted in Philippi. <clears throat> We've already had two sessions, and the first session I just had a look at the, introducing you to the area, the geography, how the church was planted, why it was planted, and we looked a little bit at to Paul and what we could learn about him and how he saw the church, three things about each of those which you can uh, catch up on the podcast, and we looked at the whole thing of being uh, saints, called out ones, that we are in Christ What does that mean? What does that look like? What is that security that brings to us? And then the last week I had a look at the whole thing of how Paul viewed leadership, that it's leadership in the local church is with the people. Paul was an apostle and he was with the people in the church. It's not leadership out front. It's not leadership above. It's not leadership dominating. It's leaders amongst the people. It's all the saints, as Paul says in the first couple of verses, with the overseers. There's no place in the kingdom for celebrity pastors as far as I'm concerned. Celebrity worship leaders. No, no, no. It's the church. It's God's family. We are with each other. We minister together with each other into the local church and from the local church out into the world. All right? So that's what I looked at last week. And now this week I'm really excited because we're going to look at this amazing prayer. Going to start to look at this amazing prayer that Paul prays for these dear friends of his. In verse 3 he says this. I thank God, well, I thank my God, depending on your translation, every time I remember you in all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership, some translations say fellowship in the gospel, from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Man, this is a Absolutely amazing, amazing prayer, and I'm going to look uh, uh, with you over the next couple of weeks at this prayer in particular. And so, these, this little prayer focuses on Paul's thanksgiving for the Philippian Christians, and so he, the opening greetings of his letters always give us a glimpse into the kind of person that Paul was. And he certainly was a godly man, and I really already have mentioned his prayerfulness. And I want to point out another thing right here at the very beginning. I get really irritated when Paul is dismissed by many Christians as a, a woman hater and a, a theologian and disconnected from people. And Because clearly, if you, if you have that view, I want to honestly just say to you, I don't think you've really read the letters of Paul. Because Paul is a warm man. He's an open-hearted man. He loves people. Look how he greets these people. I thank my God every time I remember you. There's a warmth in his heart. There's a passion in his heart for people. He loves people. And I want to encourage you that gratitude is part of our lives in a very basic way. He was a man who experienced so many different trials, so many different sufferings, and yet he was a constantly glad and grateful person. It's a challenge to me. Am I constantly grateful and glad for what God is doing in my life? And he says uh, that he thanks God always, every time he remembers them. And it reminded me of Ephesians 5. 
Because you know, Paul says in Ephesians 5 and verse 18, that thankfulness is a mark of the fullness of the Holy Spirit in your life. That's a little bit interesting, isn't it? How can we know that we're full of the Holy Spirit? Are we thankful? Well, Paul says, yeah, it's a mark of the Holy Spirit in your life. The fullness of the Holy Spirit, he says in verse 18 of Ephesians 5, don't get drunk on wine which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. So what does it mean to be filled with Spirit? Well, you speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from the heart to the Lord. Worship is a sign of fullness of the Holy Spirit. That's why I say to you when we get together, if we're not wanting to sing, something's wrong. Congregations sing. Why? Because congregations are thankful for what God has done in their lives. I'm a little rant here for the musicians. I think this, that more and more we are witnessing the death of congregational singing in the way that worship is done. More and more worship is about performance. More and more worship is about stage. More and more worship is about lights and flashing stuff and all this kind of stuff. And congregational singing is dying. We are witnessing it in our generation. I want to say to you, I'm challenging myself as a musician, let the music not be so loud that you can't hear the congregation sing. That's how Christians have always been identified. Christians sing because we have something to sing about. Come on now. We want to worship from the heart. Thank you. Paul faithfully, secondly, he prays for a large number of people. He says, I pray for all of you with great joy. He says this, thirdly, I want to say, um, do you notice how he makes people feel good about themselves when he greets them? (laughs) <laughs> he wasn't reserved. There's this warmth in Paul. And I challenged all of our introverted leaders yesterday to say, let's not be reserved in our affections for each other. Come on now. Paul was comfortable to tell people in a very warm way that he was thinking of them. Every time I think of you, I rejoice. When I think of you, I get happy. When I think of Mario, I think of octopus and drinking wine on Greece beaches, and I get happy. Come on. And we are so reserved, aren't we? We're so reserved. Oh, we don't do that in our culture. Now, come on. I said to you last week, we are first saints. We are first called out ones. We are first citizens of a heavenly kingdom where everything is different. And because we are citizens of a heavenly kingdom, we live very differently. We live differently to everyone else on earth because there's a king that we serve and we love. And so we, because God hasn't been reserved in his affection for us, he's lavished his grace on us. So there in turn, our response to the gospel, we lavish our affection on other people. Yes? You might say, well, you're, you're an introvert. Well, I want to say I'm an introvert as well. And it takes courage to open your heart to people and to warmly embrace them and say, it is great to see you this week. Uh, or was it like, oh, hello and welcome, chaps. How does that make you feel? Come on. We can be a little bit more American. Come on. <laughs> A little bit more affectionate, guys. I'm not asking everyone to be warm and mush, fuzzy and mushy, but I am asking people to be warm. I want this congregation to be warm. My favorite movie, one of my favorite movies of all time, is My Big Fat Greek Wedding. Do you know that story? And there's a character called Gus. Gus is the father. And he's giving away his daughter Tula to this, this uh, non-Greek, all right? And he meets the family 
and their names are Larry and something. Can't remember. Harry and Larry. The, the Harriet, and they get it wrong, yes. But anyway, the point of my story is that Gus, he is, is overwrought because he says to his daughter, they have a dry toast family. This is Exeno. This is a foreigner with a dry toast family. In other words, there's no warmth in the family. My friends, I want to say to you, this church, I don't want it to be a dry toast family church, all right? I want it to be a warm church. When you walk through these doors, there's deep affection in your heart for each other, and you're not embarrassed to welcome someone and warmly give them an embrace and say, it's great to see you this week. What? No, the hamburger and every kind of royal church. I don't want to rant, but I was at a, a pastoral meeting this week where there were people from all sorts of different churches, and it was a pain for me. I tried to be friendly, and I saw these people, they were like socially awkward, and they are leading churches. And I had to say to myself, my friends, if that's how you are with me, no one is going to come to your church because you don't even greet them. Come on. How can we expect people to want to come to our meetings when we are like dry pieces of toast? And the Bible says you should be full of the Holy Spirit, singing with joy in your heart, warmly loving people because God has loved you and accepted you and embraced you, and you in turn give that same love away to other people. Come on. And do you notice that he's especially grateful for their fellowship, their partnership? It's one of the big themes we're going to explore in this book. And he says, I am thankful for your fellowship, your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. From the earliest days of this church, that has been especially helpful in supporting Paul's ministry. And so what I'm trying to say to you this morning is that fellowship, the word fellowship, it's so much more than just being friendly. It's so much more than enjoying friendship. I mean, we all love those things, don't we? It's being, fellowship means you're actively involved in and actively sharing and participating in someone's life, every aspect of their life. I want this church to be a church full of fellowship. And one of the reasons that Paul writes this to this church is that he wants to thank them for this financial gift that they've given him. But fellowship is so much more than financial partnership. That's important. Financial partnership is important. Of course it is. But fellowship is so much more than that. It's not just about money. It's not just about you know, paying your tithe and praying together and saying, oh, no, that's fellowship. Oh, sorry, I put the mic down. It's not fellowship. The fellowship is much more than that. It's much more intimate than that. It's a, it's a, a result of the gospel transforming us on the inside. And so they'd loved Paul. They cared for him. And so I want to point it to you that our, our fellowship in the gospel does imply we go to our, our campus, we go to our school. Of course it does. We go to our family. Of course it does. But it also implies that we take that same good news to Europe, to Cambodia, to wherever we can with the wealth that God has given us to take the gospel to the nations of the world. Paul, what did he say? He said, I wish to go to the ends of the earth. What was the ends of the earth for Paul? It was probably Spain. <laughs> It really was. That was for him, was the ends of the earth. I'm going, I'm getting in my boat, I'm going to the ends of the earth, says Paul, to preach where no one has heard the gospel before. That was probably where we can now go on holiday, all of us, isn't it? Easy jet flight down to the south, Marabella, wherever you go on holiday. That's Paul would have loved to have gone there to preach the gospel. The ends of the earth. 
and yet we can enjoy the whole of the world and preaching the good news. And uh, this is all my introduction, and I want to say to you, underlying this, underlying this thankfulness, this joy and fellowship, this deep partnership that Paul is saying he's thankful for this church, there's an unshakable conviction that underlies all of that for Paul, and it's verse 6. He says, I am confident, I am absolutely convinced that he who began a good work in you is going to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. God is going to make you fully perfect. I'm absolutely convinced of that, says Paul. And I want to put it to you, verse 6 is the verse that the whole chapter hinges on. I want to say to you this morning that you can be absolutely confident that God is going to complete the work that He started in your life the moment that you got saved, that He's committed to you. He's not going to let you go. He's a loving Father. He's going to complete the work that He started in your life. Whatever you feel right now, He's going to complete it. It's His will. It's His purpose. It's His promise to you. And you can be absolutely confident of that, whoever you are this morning. And if you don't know Jesus this morning and you're here, I want to make sure that you do know Jesus by the time that you leave and that your life is totally transformed. What does Paul say? He says such three things, so simple, you're going to see them for yourself. He just says this. He says it's God that starts the work in your life. It's God. It's all initiated by God. And it's very interesting, this word that he uses here, the verb for the Greek began, it's God who begins a good work in you, is used only one other place in the New Testament in Galatians 3. And you remember we studied Galatians together. And what does Paul say to the Galatians? You foolish Galatians, you who began in the Spirit, do you want to know now go back to the flesh? The word that Paul is using there is exactly the same word here. And it has to do with inauguration. It has to do with initiation and what what he's saying is God initiates everything he begins everything and not only that but it has to do with a deliberate act that is perfectly executed in your life and so he's saying that your salvation Paul is saying begins with God. It's exclusively His grace that initiates it in your life. It's inaugurated by Him. It's perfectly planned by Him. It's perfectly executed by Him. And it's perfectly brought to perfection in your life by Him, by Jesus. So Paul does not say to them, I, Paul, who began a good work in you, will see that I finish it. Me, the apostle, you know, I introduced you to all this stuff. I'm going to make sure that this work is completed in your life. He doesn't say, ah, Paul, who began the good work, I really hope and believe that Jesus is going to finish it. He doesn't say, you who began a good work in your life are going to finish it. He doesn't say that. it's, It's not Paul. It's not them. From beginning to end, it is initiated, inaugurated, completed, perfected by Jesus. I'm trying to bring absolute confidence into your life that your salvation has very little to do with you and all to do with Him, and therefore you can be absolutely confident that it's Him that's going to complete the work in your life. And the perfect illustration of this is is Lydia. We chatted about Lydia over the last couple of weeks. What did Paul preach? He simply preached to the jailer, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. And I'm sure that he said that to Lydia as well. And she took him at his word, and she believed him, and she was saved. But there's this beautiful verse in Acts 16. Verse 14 says this. Talking of the same 
experience with Lydia, it says this, Luke writes in Acts and he says, the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what Paul said. It's beautiful. See, it starts with him. <laughs> that salvation starts with him. For every true story of inner conversion, it always starts with him initiating. And what, it, 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 simply what I'm trying to say to you this morning is that the exact perfect time in your life, just like with Lydia, God opened your heart so that the word could come and you could hear it and you could understand it. It all starts with him. I chose Jesus. Yeah, that's true. In one sense, you did choose him, but you know, it was his goodness and his kindness to you that the exact moment when you were ready, he opened your heart by the power of his spirit so you could understand the word and you got saved. It starts with him. It doesn't start with you. Everything starts with him. And you know why I'm so, so grateful for that? Because I know my own will. And my will fluctuates between firm, being firm and convinced, and being very unsure and unstable. <laughs> I don't know if you're like me, but that's how I am. I can be very sure one moment and absolutely unsure the next. So if it depends on my will that I'm saved, not a very good foundation. No, not a good foundation. How can I trust my own will? One moment I'm saved, one moment I'm not. No, it doesn't depend. What I'm trying to say to you, this, my friends, the will of God is the grounds for your salvation. He has willed it. He's reached into your life. He's chosen you. He's called you out. At the perfect moment, He's opened your heart, and you've received Him, and it's on that basis that you are saved. Hallelujah. Not on the basis of what I say or what you think. No, no, no. It's on His, his initiation that He saves. And so none of us in this room if you know Jesus this morning, none of us would ever have been saved unless God had not been moved by that own spontaneous, unexplainable love that chooses people. And the scripture says he chooses us before the foundation of the world. Man, I don't understand that in some ways, but that's his promise. Before you were even a thought, a twinkle in your father's eye, before you were even that chosen sperm that made it to the egg, God had chosen you before the foundation of the world to be saved, to be called out, to be his son, his daughter. This is good news. And so the first thing why we can be sure of our salvation is that God has willed it. God has decided God has chosen every single one of you here that are here this morning because God has chosen you. He's willed your life to be at this place right now. The second thing that Paul says, it's so simple. God initiates everything. Secondly, he says, God not only initiates and opens our hearts, but he continues our salvation. He will carry it on, Paul says. And here the beautiful language of the Greek is so fantastic because it puts it in a continuous tense and it implies this. God will forever put the finishing touches to salvation in your life. Doesn't that reassure you? Doesn't that bring confidence in you? If I just listen to the voice of the Spirit in my life, and that's not even a condition, but as I listen to the voice of the Spirit in my life, God is going to continually in my life bring the finishing touches to everything in my life to perfect what He's doing in me. He continues. He's putting the finishing touches in your life every moment of every day. And so can I put it to you like this? I can say that's a double blessing because He never gives up on you. 
and you have an eternal security that is absolutely sure. And the double blessing is that every experience that you go through in your life is preparing you for that day, which he speaks about when Jesus is going to come again. And so good news, bad news, indifferent news, struggle, uh, good times, times of ease, unexpected happiness or trouble, it all has purpose for those that are in Christ. Because it's making us get ready for that day when Jesus comes back. That's the joy. That's the practical part of absolute assurance that we have. That whatever we're going through, there's the arms of a caring, sovereign, everlasting Father undergirding our lives and holding us like a father holds a babe. God initiates everything. God carries it on. He doesn't give up. He's perfecting in your life. He's bringing to completion salvation and perfection in your life as you walk by the Spirit. Thirdly, the outcome is guaranteed. God completes it. God completes it. Remember what we've learned about being in Christ already. Because we are in Christ, we are secure and have all that we need. Remember I said to you, the peace of God, the promise of the peace of God in our lives, it's not like one little soldier bringing peace to your heart. It's a whole garrison of soldiers that Paul says. You have a garrison around your heart, a garrison of soldiers guarding your heart and keeping peace for you. We have all that because we're in Christ. We, because we're in Christ, remember we said, we have a new feelings. We have a new mind. We have a new way of looking at things. We have a new incentive to live a different way because we are in Christ. We are rooted in Him. He is ours and we are His. So in other words, all of this means we possess this full salvation. And that's why Paul can say so confidently, I am sure that He who began a work will bring it to completion on the day of Christ Jesus. And so I want to put it to you like this, this little phrase, the day of Christ Jesus. You know what Paul is saying? He's saying that God the Father is working to a schedule for every single one of us. It's in his diary. It's the date. It's in God's diary. It's called the day of Christ. This is the cool thing. There's no anxious rush for God to get it done. There's no, no, no botch-ups in God's kingdom, all right? So there's no ways it's going to get messed up. There's no ways that God is going to cut corners to get it done. There's, there's no, way, no way that God says, oh, that's good enough for now. You know, we'll get it done properly one day. It's good enough for now. There's no, nothing like that for God. There are no strikes in God's diary to get in the way of what he's doing. There's no carelessness in God's economy to get in the way of what he's doing. In the perfect timing of God, in the perfect completion of God, Jesus will come back, and here's the really cool thing. It says that we are being prepared to bring glory to him on that day. 2 Thessalonians says this, when he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at amongst all who have believed, because our testimony to you 
was believed. What is Paul saying when he's writing to the Thessalonians church? He's saying that actually God is preparing you and I as the saints of God, that when Jesus comes back, we are going to meet him, and the whole of the world is going to see how Jesus is glorified in those that have been saved, and we are going to bring glory to him, the great king who's being revealed, and all of us are going to worship together. We are going to bring glory to him by being saints that have been transformed, and we can be confident of that because God who cannot lie is doing that in your life and he's doing it in my life. He's getting us ready. He's completing our salvation. He's perfecting us so that on that day we can be presented to the Father and we can the whole of eternity is going to say, look how my saints bring glory to my son. And the son is going to say, Father, look at the glory that you've revealed in your saints. It is absolutely beautiful. That's what you have to look forward to. That's why you can be confident of your salvation, because God is willing and completing and perfecting your life day by day, moment by moment, so that on that final day, He can present you to His Son, and the Son can be glorified in, your, in all of us that are called out as saints. It is absolutely beautiful. You can be sure. And that's why Paul says, I am sure. And I want you to say this morning with all of your heart, I am sure that he who began a work in me is going to perfect it and complete it. And I can rest in that because the God who does not lie has promised that he's perfecting me. He's promised he's completing this work in my life that I might be one of those that bring glory to Jesus on that day. Together with all the saints, we will bring glory to him as he reveals himself. And it's the appropriate response, isn't it? It's the appropriate response of God to reveal Jesus on that day to all of the universe that people might bow their knee and worship him who is the Alpha and the Omega. My friends, that's good news. <laughs> you don't have to stress, don't have to worry. You put your faith in Jesus, trust him. Walk by faith, he'll complete what he's begun in your life. And you will bring glory to him as you live for him by the power of the Spirit. He began a good work in you, will complete it and bring it to perfection on that, and until that day that Christ Jesus comes back.